You are listening to DSA Today, a monthly podcast from the UK Direct Selling Association. We will be providing all of the relevant news, research and insights from people and companies who operate in the direct selling industry. This is the industry that gives people access to a useful extra income or an entirely new career. This is the DSA Today podcast and your host is David Lilly. And a warm welcome to the April 2018 edition of the Direct Selling Today podcast from the UK Direct Selling Association. With the fourth month of 2018 almost behind us, it's incredible how quickly this year has passed. But as time passes quickly, for those of us who live here in the United Kingdom, we at least have the bonus of the warmer weather being just about upon us. The month of April 2018 will certainly stay in my memory for having the extremes of weather. In April, we had both snow, which saw some of our local professional football matches being postponed, and temperatures of minus two. And then just weeks later, we get temperatures of 27 degrees. Now, in my part of the world, that is incredible. And people just wouldn't believe that you could get those extremities of weather in a 20-day period. But it's the truth. And so April will remain in the memory for me for that reason. Let's get on to this month's podcast. I'm delighted to bring you an interview with one of the fastest growing brands in the global direct selling sector, certainly across the last decade. My interview with Jonas Hedberg will provide you with some insight into an organization called Isogenics. Also on this month's podcast, with the new data protection legislation changing for Europe and not just the UK, and that happens on May the 28th, in the second part of the podcast today, time to pull out your notepads and pens because I share some very important and useful information for any small business, any individual business, sole trader or partnership or limited company in the United Kingdom that's doing any type of customer marketing. So more on GDPR, General Data Protection Regulations, later on in the podcast. But for now, let's get back to that very interesting interview with Jonas Hedberg, who is European General Manager for Isogenics. I commenced my interview with Jonas by asking him to provide us with his own background in direct selling. I started in in direct selling almost by accident in 2001. I would offer the role as Managing Director for Swedish direct selling company, Oriflame, in their Czech market. So I packed my bags and my family and all our stuff and moved from Paris to glorious Prague. And uh, I was very fascinated about the, about the company, but was a little bit un- unsure about what to, what to find. But I ve- immediately more or less fell in love with this fantastic industry and the company because of, because of the speed, because of being close to people, and because of offering opportunity to those who might not otherwise have it. And also, I guess, because company, the country then, Czech Republic, was then, back then in a stage of very, very fast development. So that was a fantastic experience. Did about 10 years with uh, Oriflame, then uh, left, uh, did three and a half years with a French company called Yves Rocher, as the head of the uh, direct selling arm in, in France. Then joined the uh, American uh, direct selling network marketing company, USANA, 
had uh, three, four very nice years with them in um, in the Paris uh, European office until I was contacted by Isagenix. And uh, first, uh, I had no intention of leaving. So um, the only reason why I first started to look into it was actually the fact that our son lives in London. So, But the more I got into it, I was really fascinated by the compensation plan, the, the way in which the company assures to put money in the hands of people very early on, the fantastic product and a really warm, friendly, but of course, business-focused culture. So here I am, almost 20 years later. Almost a lifetime in direct selling, and you (laughs) mentioned a couple of fascinating points there, Jonas, which I'll pick up on. One was, I guess, the kind of energy that comes off this industry. I think everybody I talk to talks about just what a fun and vibrant industry it is. And then secondly, the really interesting thing that I liked was putting money in the hands of people that get involved really quickly. I think there are so many people in this industry that join and they they want to either earn an extra income or they want to set up a new business. And whichever option they've chosen to join for, it's important, I think, isn't it, to get them earning money as quickly as possible? Yeah, precisely. And that's the one thing that really, really fascinated me with with Isogenics because that's not very easy in the beginning. Most people who join don't have any experience before to selling or network marketing. So you need to be very clear on what, Okay, so here I am. What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to pay back the, to pay the products I bought initially, and start to get the feeling for that? Yes, I can do this, and I can make money. So in Epigenics, there is a, a, um, a startup structure that we call a "you share, they share, repeat," and we link to that is a couple of bonuses. So a very clear roadmap that puts money into people's hands quickly, and I think that that's. One of the reasons, to, one of the really key reasons to the success of the company. Yeah, and I can see why. So let's get more into the background of Isagenix then. So walk me through the history, if you don't mind, of the organization. So how long has it been around and the number of com- countries that you operate in? Yeah. So the company was founded in 2002 by, uh, by Jim and Kathy Cooper, uh, who are longtime network marketing um, people. And together with a master formulator called John Anderson, and they, the John and Kathy had really gone into retirement. But when they came across the product that John had developed, that, that somehow brought them back from retirement and to give it to give it another shot yet, and then they created Isagenix in Phoenix, Arizona, back in 2002. <clears throat> now, last so this week, as a matter of fact, we celebrated having done accumulated six billion USD in sales, as we are here now. 2018 is so 16 years down the road. The company is now in 16 markets. Uh, the last one was open this Monday. That was Belgium. Uh, the 17th market will be Spain, and that opens on June the 25th. Uh, so uh, vibrant company, full of expansion plans, uh, really going strong. Well, it's incredible turnover, Jonas. That I mean, as you probably don't need me to tell you, six billion turnover in 16 years is double and some some of the big names that are operating here in the uk are around about the three billion dollars turnover and they've been around for yeah. you know 30 plus years so that tells us something doesn't it about the product which we'll come on to in a second but as far as the united kingdom's concerned how long have isogenics been operating in the uk uh, that's quite also quite a new market for the company <clears throat> the, the uk was launched in may 2017 so we have yet actually to celebrate our first first anniversary here uh, as part of the company's uh, expansion plan into the UK. So it's very, very new, also a very good start here, but uh, still a very, very young company in, in Europe totally. 
Okay, let's move on to the products now because turnover like that doesn't occur by accident. It occurs because of the great company culture and, and wonderful products. So what can you tell me about the Isogenics products? Yeah, because that, that's also one of the things that attracted me to Isogenics. And, I mean, there is, there is a globally um, an issue with, with the people's eating habits, habits leading to all kinds of diseases and, and overweight and even obesity. So the product, uh, that we offer here in Europe are, uh, are along two categories. is weight management or weight control and energy and performance. The reason why it attracted me was very much that it's very. these are products that almost most people need. They're easy to explain. And when you just follow the regime, you follow the, uh, follow the instructions how to use it, they, they, they function. They, they do the results that they're supposed to do in terms of uh, weight management or weight, weight loss in terms of better energy and uh, better sleeping and everything. So they really, really do the job. And um, what I found too is that, that, that uh, when people start using the product, they want to stay on them. So we have a big part of our sales is generated from a so-called auto-ship, which means that the consumers subscribe to the product. So, I mean, as, as any healthy business in the world, the key is, of course, to serve customers that are ongoing using the product. And that's, of course, how the Salesforce makes their money. So uh, that's fantastic. That, that's so good to see that people who start, they just keep on doing it. Now, I did a little bit of research, Jonas, on the website, particularly from the point of view of today's customers, today's consumers go into the various supermarkets and on the retail high street, and there are literally hundreds, if not thousands of different types of products that are purported to be able to help people with their health and their weight and weight loss, weight control. And it's confusing, isn't it, for the average customer to know what they should be looking at. And one of the things that impressed me by your website is a page entitled Products Backed by Research and Science. So tell me a bit more about the Isogenic strategy for product creation and testing. Yeah, we have 50 full-time scientists that are working to develop our products. We have nutritionists, dietists, food scientists, biochemists, chemists, uh, biologists and even toxicologists on payroll that that's all the time we're working to refine it to to improve the product so that that's something we take re- very very seriously and uh, we are we know that we are we're only as good as the, the result of the product uh, product uh, create and i would also say that i fully agree that it is an issue with these uh, health and wellness products being available um, in supermarkets and pharmacies and everywhere and the quality is really really varying and as a result then this industry from time to time has had a little bit of a tarnished reputation and I think it's important then for com- for companies like ours with really, really good products that we break through, that we are heard, but also that people get used to the fact that if you want really good stuff, you most probably have, can't go for the absolutely cheapest one in the supermarket. Compared to our competitors, we are a little bit more highly priced, but you, you get a bang for the buck. The products work. So, yeah, but it's for that. I think it's important, Jonas, isn't it, that we consumers actually buy products and we may look at the labels and some of them will look at them look at them to varying degrees but usually there is nothing on a label to talk about the quality of one ingredient versus another you know it's down there as an ingredient and the point you're making is that isogenics are putting the best possible ingredients in your products yeah exactly exactly and the right proportion between them because one thing is to have the right uh, vitamins and the minerals and all this stuff that that thing in it but the other way is the, the balance between them so it's, it's a really really a whole science to make sure that you have the have like a mix a cocktail of vitamins of minerals of protein that that, that is the the, the the very best for, for your body and it's very, I know it's very, very confusing when you read on the on the labels. It's unless you're really, really skilled and trained in that, it's really hard to understand 
what products are really good and what, what, what other products might not be. Another thing is also that if you take like some products are, that are cheaper are very, very tough for the body to, to digest, which means that if you take like a, a product with a certain vitamin and mineral content, and those vitamins and minerals, they might be there, but due to the composition of the, of the, of the tablet or the, or the liquid, the body might have real problems to actually absorb all of that there. And the way we produce the things is that we know that, that if, it's, it's, if what's put on the label is are things that your body readily can absorb and benefit from. Well, that's very interesting to know. Only yesterday I was actually, ironically, and I guess coincidentally, I was looking at the various different protein powders that are out there and trying to do some research to find out what the best ones are from an independent perspective, literally trying to find what medical experts are saying we should be consuming within our protein powder. Suffice it to say, I spent about half an hour on it, and it was there's lots of stuff on there, but it, it is quite confusing for the average consumer. So it's good to hear there's an organisation out there that really does not just pay lip service to the ingredients, is really focused on, on that. Moving on then to the career side of Isogenic. So what would you say to someone who is considering pursuing either just an extra income or a new career, how does direct selling measure up for people in your 20 years' experience? Now, I, I would, first of all, I would say, of course, welcome to, warmly welcome to Isogenics. But I would also say that I think that the uh, time has really worked in favor of, of uh, network marketing or direct selling the past years. You, you have, I think that the younger generation in particular are very prone to have a uh, different, different... When I grew up, the idea was that you use study, and, you, and if you study, you do well, you can get to work at the, uh, the corporate, you, you go to the office nine till five until you retire, and then you go home and do something else. I think younger people are a little bit more open-minded to create a good life quality and not maybe being completely locked up into this here then. And I think that's why you have like phenomenons like Airbnb and like uh, Uber and uh, things where people somehow make money off of, the, <clears throat> of, of their, their apartment or their car and uh, try to find different ways to just to, to finance life. And before, I think like 10, 15 years ago, in network marketing, people were talking, and there was this selling the dream, you know, you, you, were, you start on Monday, and by Friday evening, you drive off in the sunset in your Lamborghini with your Rolex watch and so on. So it's kind like like a bizarre dream somehow. I think nowadays, people, most people join because if they make like 100, 200 pounds per week, it completely changes life. It might pay for the for the apartment or for a car or and that's it. And to and to, to, to reach that kind of income is really real really realistic to do somehow. So um network marketing is growing a lot. I think it's because that the industry has matured, has become more approachable and more just better. And also because that the, the consumers, particularly younger people, really re- regard this as a serious, interesting way as uh, as, uh, as a way to, to make money. Indeed, and that's what it boils down to, isn't it? And you make another point there about um, the newer, the younger generations focusing on different aspects of work-life balance. And certainly one of the things that network marketing offers is the opportunity to, I guess, build an income that is not wholly reliant upon the hours that you put in. What are your thoughts on that, Jonas? No, absolutely. I think the uh, the idea is that, that uh, once again, coming back to the fact that if you join a company that has consumable products, which means that the, the consumers discover the products and the good they do and they continue on using them, that means that uh, that you will create this what is called talked about as residual income, which means that you 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 won over these consumers, they continue to use it. You do one sell, but you will continuously have have the the, um, 
money coming in thanks to the commission on their sales. So um, absolutely. I would say also that, that this industry is, if you want to grow here, it's always, always about finding, reaching out to, to new customers and to spread the word somehow. But uh, yeah, that, that I think is, that's what we're looking for. So anybody listening to this, Jonas, who's interested in Isogenics and wants to find out more and potentially wants to have a meeting with, with someone, what action can they take in response to listening to this podcast? Is, is there a particular website they can visit or a part of a website they can go to for that? No, I think that, would, that the easiest way to go into the isagenics.co.uk, click on contact there, and then they will find easily a way into connecting with to us at the London UK and Europe head office. And everybody, of course, mostly welcome and will gladly tell you more, tell you all about it. Thank you for that. And the final question, I've got to ask you this. Obviously, this podcast, Direct Selling Today, as we call it, for the UK Direct Selling Association. What are your thoughts on the role and the importance of the Direct Selling Association? I think that is super, super important. I worked in a couple of com- uh, countries where the Direct Selling Association has been very, very strong in terms of being strong, close, very close to the legislators, which means they've had their say whenever you pass different laws concerning that would concern the industry. Even more so, they've also been able to get uh, to establish um, university programs to, where people can study to work in, in sales or general management or marketing in direct selling and also create a different kind of events. All in all, this has meant that the profile and the credibility of the industry has really, really improved. And that has really been driven by, the, 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 by a strong direct selling association. So I think that it's vital for, for an industry in a country to have a strong, uh, switched on direct selling association with tight links to the legislators, <clears throat> with an ambition and an agenda to increase the credibility and just to increase the quality of the, of the industry. So I'm very passionate about that and will gladly contribute in any way that I or academics can to make sure that we also strengthen that in, the, we already have an excellent DSA in the UK, but I also know that there, there is, there is, lot of work the coming years to be done along those lines. Jonas, thank you so much for your time today and uh, for those positive words about the role of the Direct Selling Association. It's been fascinating to hear about Isogenics, an organisation already turning over six billion globally, almost a year in the United Kingdom and with great products. We'll catch up with you perhaps in a year's time to find out how that journey is continuing to progress. Sure, that'll be my pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. And a very interesting and enlightening interview that was with Jonas Hedberg. I'm sure we'll be hearing lots more from Isogenics here in the United Kingdom over the next 12 months. Now then, let's get on to that part of today's podcast, which is going to be very important for most businesses that are operating in a marketing sense in the United Kingdom. Now, I would encourage you at this juncture, if you are in a position to take notes safely, to pull out a a notepad and pen, because some of the information that I provide you with, you will find incredibly useful. Now, at the time this podcast was released, from a data protection perspective, the UK was governed by something known as the Data Protection Act, or DPA. Now, from the 28th of May 2018, the Data Protection Act gets replaced by something called GDPR, and I'm sure you've seen lots of appearances of those four letters on Google searches and in all sorts of news. GDPR is an abbreviation for General Data Protection Regulation. Now, GDPR is data protection regulation that covers all of Europe. The subject can actually be quite complex and detailed. And for organizations that are not used to that level of detail, or in fact data protection, in the remainder of this piece, 
I'll endeavour to cover some of the most important but basic parts and provide you with some information sources that you can go away and get greater detail that you need to ensure that your business is compliant with GDPR. Now, the General Data Protection Regulation is governed in the United Kingdom by the Information Commissioner's Office. The Information Commissioner's Office is abbreviated often to ICO, Indigo Charlie Oscar or Information Commissioner's Office. And they are effectively part of the UK government and are responsible for administering and policing compliance with data protection from the 28th of May with GDPR. Now, you can find out more about the ICO, the Information Commissioner's Office, by visiting their website. And that website is as follows. www. of course, ico.org.uk. That's www.ico.org.uk. This website provides a huge amount of information about GDPR, and a lot of it is written in fairly plain and simple-to-understand terms. So, what type of businesses need to be compliant with GDPR? And the short answer to that question is literally most businesses need to be compliant and aware of the detail of GDPR. If, as a business, you're collecting people's private contact information, and this includes very basic things such as their names, their mobile telephone numbers, their email addresses, home telephone numbers, their home address, information about the product and service purchases that they make from you, general notes and information about the relationship that you have with them, then you must become familiar and compliant with the key aspects of GDPR. One of the main aspects of GDPR is that you must gain specific permission from the customer to use their information to contact them. And there can be no ambiguity about this specific permission. You must state clearly what you require from them in terms of information, and you must state how you intend to use that information to contact them. If you're given permission to contact someone for a specific reason, a business reason, that they've given you permission to contact them, then it's not allowed for you to contact them outside of the areas that they have given you permission for. You must also store information securely. So if you are keeping paper files, these must be kept under lock and key and only accessible to people within your company who understand your data protection policy and have agreed to comply with it. Now, if you're storing information on computers or in the cloud, as we call it nowadays, it's also your duty to ensure that these computers and cloud systems have security provision. So as far as the cloud is concerned, first of all, most of the reputable CRM systems, customer relationship management systems, where you would store data, are already very security conscious. I'm referring to systems such as Insightly, Zoho, HubSpot and Bittrex. Most of these will easily be able to explain what security precautions they take on your behalf when you subscribe to using their systems to hold customer data. There are email marketing systems out there as well. People will be familiar with the likes of Constant Contact, GetResponse, MailChimp, Benchmark Email, Vertical Response, various different email systems. All of those systems need to be compliant with GDPR and you need to always check what they say about their security provisions. Now, as far as your computers and your tablets are concerned and your mobile phone, you must have a password on them to ensure that no one else can access any data that you might have stored on the hard drive on those various different devices. 
In addition to this, it's also wise for you to put a password on all the documents that you are using to store people's personal information and sensitive data. It's really straightforward to add a password, for example, to a document such as a Word, Excel or PowerPoint, which means that the only people who could truly get into that information is the people with the password. If you have business premises that people visit, it's important that you get the visitors to sign in and sign out so that you can account for their presence on your site. It's important that you don't display customer information, sensitive personal information on things such as notice boards. A common habit that that some organisations get into is posting various pieces of personal information on notice boards for ease of access because it's near people's computer. You can't really do that anymore, particularly if you've got people coming into your offices that aren't subscribed to your data protection policy. All that type of information should really be put into a proper filing system. If you do have customer files in your office, you know, sometimes you'll see those on a shelf that are easily accessible. Ideally, they should be put in a filing cabinet that can be locked and where the keys are only given to people who have agreed to comply with your data protection policy. Now, GDPR also applies to the security of your website. So if your website was ever breached and data was accessed from behind that website, and some people actually store customer data behind their website, then you are ultimately responsible for that. And with this in mind, it's important that you choose a website provider that understands the best proven software and plugins that can be used on your site to make it secure and unlikely to be breached. From a website perspective, you also need to have in place what's known as a privacy policy. And the privacy policy links into your data protection policy and stipulates how you are going to use a person's information that you collect via your website. Websites also need what's known as a cookie policy, which basically explains how you're going to track people's usage around your website if they have their cookies turned on. Again, if you don't understand these things, you need to speak to a reputable web design company. If you're the sort of organization that makes lots of outbound telephone calls, it's important that you have permission to make those telephone calls from the person who you are calling. And if you're the type of organization that receives lots of incoming calls from customers, you need to have security check provisions in place to ensure you can establish that you are only giving out information to someone who really is the customer that they're saying they are. This is one of the reasons why when the various different financial organizations call you, you'll be conscious that they ask you to state that they need to ask you some security questions before they can go on and progress and talk to you about the reason they've called you. Most direct selling individuals will not need what is known as a data protection officer. Data protection officers are generally required for larger organizations and certain types of organizations such as schools or organizations with lots of customers or employees. But as a sole trader, you'll effectively be carrying out the responsibility for data protection in your workplace. That means you're essentially assuming the roles of data protection officer, data controller and data processor. You can find more information about that on the ICO website that we talked about earlier. If you ever breach data protection regulation, it's your responsibility to report that breach to the Information Commissioner's Officer, the ICO, and your explanation needs to explain 
how the breach occurred and what precautions you have taken to prevent a repetition. You would also need to contact all of the people and customers affected by that breach, let them know what happened, how it happened and what you have done to ensure it does not happen again. Another very important part of GDPR is that you must this is a mandate, you must register with the Information Commissioner's Office. Now, this registration process is done by completing an online form on the ICO website. It takes about 10 minutes to go through that process. At the end of that process, the details of your business and how your specific business captures and uses customer data will be given to the Information Commissioner's Office and they'll tell you that you need to be registered and you are required to pay a registration fee of £35 per annum. You then get an email with a certificate. It's important to note that you will be required to do that registration every single year. Some other important information you need to think about is customers are now allowed to contact you and ask you for a copy of all the information that you hold about them. For this reason, it's a very good idea for you to think about creating a uniform way in which you capture and hold information about your prospects and customers. You could think about creating some sort of generic form which captures all the fields of information that you would need on a customer or prospect and use that same form every single time. There are a number of ways you can keep that information secure using various different internet-based cloud systems and software and you'll need to do some of your own research on that to satisfy yourself what systems are affordable for you but most importantly are the most secure from a customer's perspective. If a customer does contact you and ask you to send them a copy of the information that you hold on them, the GDPR regulations stipulate that you have 30 days to provide that information to the customer and that you cannot charge them for providing that information. Now, under the old Data Protection Act, DPA, you had 40 days and were allowed to charge the customer £10 to provide the information. A reminder, you now have just 30 days and you cannot charge them anything to provide a copy of the information that you hold on them. You have to provide it free of charge. Another important aspect for your consideration is that any staff or contractors that you may have working for you and they have access to the data that you are collecting and processing for your business, they need to be trained in the basics of GDPR and understand your data protection process and rules inside your organisation. And that will include some of the things that we've touched on in this podcast. Now, it may be that you don't feel comfortable doing that training yourself. and There are various different organisations out there that can offer GDPR training But because this subject is in such big demand at the moment, it can be a bit of a minefield finding an organisation that can give you good, credible training at an affordable price. A lot of the training that's available out there is actually classically quite expensive for a small business. Now, this short summary on GDPR and the data protection legislation, I would emphasise, is not designed to be all-inclusive. It was just designed to provide you with a flavour for some of the things that you're going to need to consider. Proper training on GDPR can take between half a day and a full day and even more, depending upon the type and size of your business. In terms of some of the information sources that I would recommend you go and take a look at, there is one particular part of the Information Commissioner's Office website which is designed for small organisations. And if you have a pen to hand, you might want to write that information down. So that address is, I'm going to read that out for you now, ico.org 
www.ofcom.uk forward slash four for organizations forward slash business and the ico also have a telephone helpline during normal business hours that you can call but i will warn you that if you do choose to use that service which i've done in the past you can be waiting at least half an hour for you to get your calls answered but it is a very useful resource and the telephone number is 0303 123 1113 i'll repeat that 0303 123 1113 you'll find lots of information on the ico website and i'd certainly recommend you go and have a look at that well i hope you found that basic overview on gdpr useful and you also enjoyed finding out about the emergence of isogenics in the united kingdom in our interview with jonas hedberg until the end of may 2018 that's it for this month's direct selling today podcast you've been listening to your host david lilly is wishing you a safe successful and happy month of may 2018 and let's hope we also get a little bit of sunshine you have been listening to the dsa today podcast the official audio show from the direct selling association in the united kingdom be sure to listen out for next month's episode and why not follow our news updates via our facebook page simply search direct selling association uk 